You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. Uh, and this week we have a, a very special guest with us. We have the Reverend Katie McKay Simpson, uh, who is doing wonderful, wonderful things in the Louisiana Conference of the United Methodist Church. And so, Katie, thanks for coming on. Hey, guys. Appreciate you being here. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do and, and uh, your setting and just, you know, all those little general get to know you things. Yeah, well, I'm a Louisiana girl, born and raised, uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, and I've, I've lived in um, uh, Shreveport, up in the northern part of the state, uh, served in uh, Memphis as a layperson for a little while in inner city ministry, was in Chicago for three years for seminary, and then uh, came back to minister here, so it's kind of a boomerang effect um, going back and forth, but I'm just so thankful to be here now and serving the three churches I've gotten a chance to uh, be a part of. Right now, I'm at the University of United Methodist Church in Lake Charles, and um, I'm married to a great guy named Taylor, and I have three kids. So life is full and rich and crazy, but um, you know we're in a pretty good spot right now. So um, just excited about getting a chance to talk with you all about uh, your ministry stuff too. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, so we'll we'll just jump right into it if that's okay. Perfect. Perfect. So you you uh, you co-wrote a book, um, "The Marks of Hope," where the Spirit is uh, moving in a wounded church. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I guess this book is a sign of the value I have in friends that lift you up in some ways. Uh, the two guys that I wrote with are Matt Rawl and. Juan Huertas, who I've known for almost two decades now. And, uh, you know, Matt has been writing some books with Abington before, and they were looking for some other co-authors to write with him. And he uh, really suggested the two of us just with the diversity that we bring, not only because of the place where we sit as far as being a female or being, uh, in Juan's case, a Puerto Rican uh, man in ministry in the South, uh, but uh, we just have a pretty good connection together. And so, uh, as uh, you both know, whenever you're doing a project, it really helps when you just have some synergy and like mutual love and respect for each other. It just kind of creates fertile ground. So we got together with Abington and, and their really great support staff there and talked about, you know, in the midst of all the anxiety that we have right now, both in the world in general, in our nation, but especially in the United Methodist Church worldwide uh, with our connection and the, I guess, the, the tensions that we're grappling with at this moment, where do we find hope? And we prayed about that, talked about that a lot, discerned about that. And so we came up with six topics of really emerging, or I would say re-emerging <clears throat> things that help us to uh, see God's work and, and the Spirit's work there. So it's um, things like the use of technology. I mean, you guys are a perfect example of that as far as uh, uh, creating spaces where God can move in new and unexpected uh, ways through those portals and channels um, about mission and justice. And I know my two topics were uh, ones that were near and dear to my heart, uh, women in leadership, uh, called that Together We Rise, 
and then social entrepreneurship is, which is really something, you know, like when you say that people are mostly like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, it, it feels like this insider language, but um, social entrepreneurship is definitely something that I've been playing with in a church that is a lot like other churches in general, but particularly United Methodist churches that are mid-sized right at that 200 mark, really trying to um, reinvent themselves from a lot of precipitous decline and find out how to create a new structure of evangelism and discipleship, but also of, kind of fundraising, right? So the uh, stewardship model of the past really isn't going to work for the future. So how can we create community partnerships that both solve social problems and really um, create formidable connections in our community, but also make our ministry sustainable? Mm. So I had a great time writing it and uh, there are pieces, I mean, we really talk about the state of the church as it is now, um, the few places where we find hope. And then at the end, it's kind of this so what to say for us as individuals and leaders in the church, whether you're clergy or lay people, we all have our part to play. And then uh, at the end, we really kind of have more of a liturgical offering. So it would be like communion liturgy or prayers or uh, just something that can really uh, root you in the spiritual elements of each of these topics. And maybe together with some of the people in your local context, find a way forward to make steps towards progress and change uh, that you have the, the power to do in your context. One of the things you, um, one of the things as I was looking through your, your chapter, I was uh, looking through the chapter on social entrepreneurship and there was one line in there that, that hit me today. Cause it, I, we just had an experience of this is starting small. Um, we had just started today. Like, I mean, just, I just finished this over an hour ago. Um, a, a grandparent support group of grandparents raising children. Uh, and it, it's been an idea of mine for the last, well, this is my second appointment that I've had this idea and trying to get some legs underneath it has been an interesting journey. But then when we started it today, like at 10 o'clock when it was supposed to start, we had zero people. And I was like, great. Like, oh, well, this is one of those things like, we'll just chalk it up. We'll figure out what we did wrong, what we need to do better. And we'll try again next month. And so the person that I was partnering with, we're partnering with a, um, a liaison in the school who her job is to help with community engagement. And so we were looking at each other, talking about what could we do um, to make this better again, to, to kind of, and then all of a sudden like seven people walked into the room wow. and we just had this great two hour conversation of one of, of support of people sharing and um, being very vulnerable. I mean, it was just this holy moment. And my associate pastor was there for a short time. I look at her and I said, wow, like <laughs> this is, this is what the church is, is, is called to be. This is who the church needs to be. And uh, especially in our community. And I was just like, like starting small, like I think far too often when we, start ministries where like we have this like grand grand like picture of like everybody coming and 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 some of the most um helpful ministries are those um and you even talk about the one-on-ones and how that's important um as you were putting this together what, what were some things that you were able to like take in like and apply at your church and like what were some of the things that kind of the wow this actually works kind of deal moments that you had yeah so i think where I'm tracking right now is particularly around organizing us in a financial place where we're not constantly telling a narrative of scarcity. So, um, you know, I have an awesome church with great faithful people, but they experienced just a lot of loss over two decades that just couldn't seem to recover from. And so 
one of the questions that I'm constantly asking myself as a leader, even when I get in those places of, oh my gosh, this is all falling apart, you know, uh, the, the dark days that we have to kind of pray ourselves through. Um, I, I constantly ask myself the question, what are the resources around us that we're just not noticing? And mm. I think part of what ministry is going to look like for those of us, I mean, I don't know how, how old y'all are. I'm in my thirties. So, uh, over the next 30 years, we have to constantly, uh, tell ourselves kind of the spiritual discipline or mantra of, uh, there is always enough out there. You have everything that you need in your church or in your community to be successful. You just need to find it. You need to connect to it. The source is always there. And so like for us, we've been playing around with, uh, the idea of, you know, we're not going to be the kind of church right now that can build a whole bunch of bricks and mortar and grow our ministry that way. So how can we uh, resurrect that, which is, uh, maybe lying fallow. So, uh, our church is presently discerning and, and next week we're going to bring it up for approval, taking over, uh, a church that, uh, had a faithful ministry for 65 years. It's at the right at the edge of our community where the growth is greatest, but also where the need is uh, most deep. Uh, so it has the greatest amount of affluence and poverty at the same time. And so how can we be a launching pad to um, take on that property and that church that's already there? It's like this picturesque uh, white uh, steeple chapel place but then also create another funding stream to support that ministry since we don't have money that's growing on trees and um, uh, you know, things that can really support that. So we have a day school at our church, which I was talking to a friend about this at a, an innovation conference we were at two or three weeks ago. And I was pitching this idea about starting a day school on this property that would be a satellite um, of the present a thing that we have. And he said, your day school is actually a, a life-giving thing. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's actually one of the sources of life and, and growth that we have and community members, you know, over a hundred families come to connect with us in a way where we don't even have to ask. They just show up. And um, so you capitalize on that. So we're trying to create a, a day school on that property as well to fund that ministry and do profit sharing since they couldn't, you know, have that land or that uh, new position in the community with literally no childcare for over a hundred uh, families that already didn't have um, assistance. But we're one of the only day schools that really supports foster care families and those mm -hmm. on childcare assistance as well. So it's that that tension point and that that bridging of uh, some of the the issues that our community has, some of the ways that our church can meet that, but also where our ministry will be elevated. And maybe we'll have some new opportunities to really uh, grow, not only in our, our branding and our trust in the community, but also in discipling new people. Right. I, I love that. I've seen that a lot, a, a lot here lately. Maybe not a lot, more than it has been in the past of, of especially in the United Methodist world of, of churches who have had faithful ministries for a long time and unfortunately have had to make had to do the hard work of saying we have to close our doors and rather than selling that property doing something different allowing something new to grow from that that's united methodist that's serving this community in a way that hasn't in the past but also doing the profit sharing coming in sharing space having multiple organizations in the building 
And that's, that's huge. When we look at the future of, of, of our churches, of our space, uh, and how do we do this in community? Well, I think that's the key. It's doing it in community. It's not just us trying to um, force ourselves into being the center of our neighborhoods. It's actually practicing that and bringing the neighborhood in and all of these organ in partnering with organizations that can come in and, and help and be um, be in that space where otherwise they may not have the opportunity because there's not another building or they can't afford that space, but they can when we share, right? Uh, and when we look at the church in, in a lot of these communities, we have huge space that virtually goes unused six and a half days out of the week. <laughs> um, and so why not begin to move into that space? Why not begin to branch out and, and do that? And, and build this kind of co-op of neighborhood and resources that, that are there looking at this neighborhood, looking at this community going, hey, we're here. <laughs> and we're here for you, not for the people that are on the other side of the neighborhood. Or, yeah. you know, so I think that's great. Well, and one of the things that I've noticed in my church is whenever we break out of this silo effect, like every one of us tells a story, whether it's us individually or us as a congregation, mm -hmm. when we get in that siloed, isolated place saying, um, nobody wants me, you know, we're not growing. We, uh, we, you know, have tried everything we can do. There's nothing mm -hmm. left. You know, uh, it's that narrative that can get us to this place of fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that's when we find increased conflict in our churches mm -hmm. and all of that. So it's like, this profit sharing piece isn't just, and, and creating those community connections isn't just about, um, you know, the, the positive things that are obvious mm -hmm. on, on uh, the outside that, that it brings and creates fruit, but really the, the underlying fruit of it all is I, I really have seen it already in my church increase hope and healing and actually redirects attention from some of the deep-seated, frankly, you know, conflicts and fights that we've had. And there's a, a greater thing to put our energy and our our minds and our hearts, our very souls toward. Uh, so that redirection has been an unintended gift that I'm just learning. We need to find that one thing that will redirect us out of our um, our uh, deep-seated trenches and kind of get us to climb out of that and, and move forward in a common parallel direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that shift a narrative out of what we don't have that used to be what we had, right? And well, since we don't have it anymore, we're dying, we're dead, we're, we're, we're just not being as fruitful as we were. And so therefore we got to do something different. Moving out of that and saying, well, we don't have that anymore but look at what we do have. Absolutely, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Um, being a, a rural church pastor out in Northwestern Montana, one, there's not a lot of people in Montana. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but two- Beautiful though, I mean, right? Oh, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. There's no better place to live. Um, I would argue with that. I was like, I would argue with that. <laughs> Y'all can argue with it, but you're gonna be wrong. So it's not- yeah. <laughs> But but that's the you know you have these you have I have these smaller rural churches and and it's well we used to be this and yeah you did but remember what our communities have gone through remember the shift that uh, has happened over the last uh, fifteen twenty years um, one of them one of my one of my towns has lost their school and 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 looking where are the young families where are the children and how are we going to get them back and it's like well we're not because they're not here 
that that demographic no longer exists as a whole because our school's gone. They've had to move. And uh, but what we do have is a bar in town, a co-op in town. We have people in town. Let's go there. You know, and they have full wholeheartedly embraced that and said, yeah, we'll go to the bar with you. You know, we'll, we'll go and do this thing. If they're not going to walk through our doors, let's walk through theirs <laughs> and, and do it in a way that just brings community together. Yeah. And, and so it, it, they have switched that narrative. Now they still worry about some of the other stuff they worry about, but they switched that narrative from, well, here's what we used to have to here's what we have. Here are the opportunities that are before us. And if it means nobody walks through our doors, that's fine. We'll just go walk through theirs and be, be in community together. That. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's a huge, and if a church of 15, 20 people can do that in a town of 150 people, anyone can, right? <laughs> well, and I think that like you're, you, you've talked about a lot about the, the scarcity of, you know, and, and that old model of like, well, we don't have this or we don't have that, or we used to have this, or like my big hurdle right now is like, well, you know, um, you know, 10 years ago when we agreed to go into $1.3 million in debt, we knew that we had the money. We didn't know that the stock market was going to crash and then people were going to leave for all sorts of reasons. And it's like, yeah, like, and so when I was preaching, um, I preached through Adam Hamilton's book on forgiveness because I knew in order for us to move forward, um, we had to learn what forgiveness looked like. And not only just for um, some of the pain that came out of that um, decision, but looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, you know, how do I need to forgive myself about this decision if I was here? Um, and, and how can we learn one, you know, the true forgiveness happens when we fully understand what we've done wrong and we move and we decide, Hey, we're not going to do that again. And we move, we decide just to let God have it and move on and move forward. And I, and then I preached into Job and I've, I've kind of hit them pretty hard these last few months about trying to get them to understand that y'all have it better than you realize and, and to move on and to move forward and not, not, be so stuck I like how you said digging in the trenches because like man there's a lot of trenches I would love to fill right now um, <laughs> but being stuck in the trench and, and it end up becoming a grave because we've been so focused on what we don't have when we have like I have I have a beautiful campus and I use the word campus around here because it's I mean we're we're huge like we're a block on itself and then I own a building across the street I mean, this is the biggest church that I've ever, you know, really pastored when I was in charge. I've been associated with a larger church, but that was a whole different spectrum. But like here, it's like a campus and um, trying to get people to understand, you know, that whole mentality of what we have and what we can offer. And some of it is simple as like this grandparent support group. The whole goal with this was just to connect with people who are underserved in an area that is really untouched. And um, having some foresight on that, I think that that takes some guts and willingness to fail. And let's be honest, all three of us were taught, you know, have been kind of reared into us through our, you know, Methodist circles that failure is not like, you know, you can't fail. And it's like, no, we, we can fail. Um, the Bible is actually really clear that failure does exist. And it's how we respond to that failure is what matters um, and what we learn from that and grow. Um, and so I really liked how you talked about that the idea of scarcity um, and what we can, you know, kind of think about what we could do about it. Um. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm coming face to face, you know, this is my 12th year in ministry and then my fourth year as a, a solo pastor, we'll be taking on an associate to um, plant the, uh, the new, I guess the, the satellite campus this July. But I, I think I've had to go through my own grief 
around the fact that the church that I thought that I was going to pastor in the sense of the kinds of churches is not what the future of the church looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not the, um, the easier, uh, appointments and and no appointment, uh, or ministry is easy per se, but it's like the ones where that we were trained to do are the the ones where the people show up for the Bible study and kind of a given that, you know, you're actually going to have some metrics or whatever. And just having to get scrappy, that's fun for a while. And then you have to grapple with, oh, this isn't just going to be a one-time thing. I've got to like build up chops to be able to handle these people's collective grief and individual grief, like on the long haul for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but I, I think there's been a resurrection in me around that. Um, kind of shaking off some of those grave clothes of, all right, you know, I, I need to kind of learn this on the fly and that's okay. And it's okay if I screw up again and again and again, because at least I'm giving it my best shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that, that whole personal narrative of God has given me everything within myself um, to be fruitful as a leader, if only I can just listen, pay attention enough and draw that out, not only within me, but just find those people around, around me that we can collaborate with to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's um, when we're in those healthy places and take care of ourselves, we can see those people and actually be vulnerable enough to say, man, I, I'm, I'm drowning here. Let's, let's figure this out together. So. Right. We talk a lot about, uh, about that on this podcast, about how just in, in our context, in the United Methodist Church, uh, in, in it certainly doesn't in there, we don't grieve well. Mm. And, and when, when time is tough, when, when things aren't going our way, when we truly need to grieve, whether it's when a pastor leaves and a new one comes, or if a ministry has to die, or if something happens in our community or within our church that we simply need to grieve. We don't do that. Well, we put a smile on our face and we, we sing upbeat hymns and and we mention it during joys and concerns. And then we move on. We, but we don't really touch on that. I mean, we touch on it, but we don't really, we just put a smile on and, and, and hope it's going to get better. Right. And, and so it's coming to that place. It's like, I'm drowning. And, And we need to be able to say that whether it's as a pastor, as a church, as just, a person <laughs> and, and, but live into that of, I need some time to, to process this, to grieve this, and then to move forward and figure out how to do that. Where instead we say, oh, well, you know, I can't show that. So I'm just going to keep running along this course until I hit a wall or burn out or, or whatever. And, and we do that as the church. If we can't do that as pastors, if we can't allow ourselves that time and that space, we lead our churches into the same thing and then our churches hit that wall and they burn out and they're tired. And, but when we allow ourselves to grieve, when we allow ourselves to name this stuff, good and bad, it, it at least opens the door to go, oh, okay, we can talk about this. It's going to be okay. You know, it's, it's failure is an option, you know, success is an option. Um, but if we only allow ourselves one or the other, well, I don't know that that's going to go real well. <laughs> it hasn't been going real well. Let's just put it that way. Um, but it's, it's just that usage in that space to go, okay, let's take a breath. Uh, and let's really name what's going on here, good and bad, and move forward. Uh, and allow ourselves that time to do that. Because yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't know that we do, do that so well. Uh, <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. But. 
Well, and I think it's because um, we're such a dog eat. We're just as bad as the business world. Um, and so we look at appointments and I don't know how this is for you, Katie, but I know like in our conference, like there are certain appointments at certain levels and like, you know, you know, hell if we point somebody in a, an appointment they didn't deserve. And mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I've been honest, like I've been told that I didn't deserve my appointment mm-hmm. and like, you know, when I'm sitting here struggling, I'm like, I'd be glad to give it if you want it, you know, it'd be yours. <laughs> But I've had some great support from my district superintendent who said, no, you know, we need you here because you can do this. And, and having that support system uh, in places is, is very healthy and, and helpful when those times, like Zach said, when it gets rough that we don't um, find ourselves um, causing more damage because we're not taking care of ourselves than, than we should. So The funny thing is, you know, whenever those good appointments get demystified, it's it's really it brings us back to the, I guess the the humility that all ministry is much more the same than it is different, in the sense that, like, um, you know, I'm serving a church that's in the top 50 in the conference as well, and was appointed there when I was 33, but when I landed here, I mean, it's taken me three years to realize I've got people that, you know, are hurting and, like, um. You know, uh, for instance, our stewardship campaign this year, for three years, I was doing like the traditional, you know, uh, teach them, you know, about the tithe and this and that, because we hadn't had as much uh, focus on that in years past. And it was just this year where I finally tapped into like beyond the reality that, you know, we were stable to growing in our finances. But I just, through pastoral conversations, I was like, I have a bunch of folks that are really in trouble, you know, um, struggling financially, struggling health-wise, and there's a whole lot of stuff that keeps us barriered between truly being generous in a holistic way in our lives. So we've done a whole different thing this year of like, you know, talking about the fact that we live in a state that in the state of our nation is often the 49th and 50th. (laughs) And uh, we often find ourselves at the bottom of the barrel as far as um, thriving and prosperity. And what does that mean to live in that kind of place um, uh, personally and with our families where we're constantly, you know, asking where the next paycheck or or next uh, plate of food is going to come from. And so like, you know, we're doing healing services around that in the midst of talking about a generous life. So I've had to reinvent how I do ministry from the traditional model just to meet people's, like to show, show people and remind them that we see you. Mm -hmm. We see where you really are. (laughs) And because we see your need, you know, we have a responsibility to turn, to turn around and see others, people's needs. And um, that's been a powerful thing to watch folks feel empowered to say, you know, even in my need, I have some kind of agency to work um, for God's purposes with what little I have. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I all mean, mean by that whole thing about grief and allowing Mm -hmm. ourselves to see things for what they are, because then we can then, then return and, and past our people and say, no, I see you. This sucks. (laughs) This is not what it used to be. And, and that's a tough feeling, but it's okay. Let's, let's move forward in this way and, and do what we can do and forget about that let's let's heal from that and move to this place uh and that's good i I love that uh so one of the things you suggest in your other chapter and i'm like i said i'm just scrolling through this i'm like catching up on things that like just stick out at me and this is something that stuck out at me because um it's kind of something that i've uh 
I've thought a lot about uh, in my time in ministry is, is creating a culture of call uh, for women in ministry that may have that call and how encouraging that call is, is almost more important for, for, to, to really help women uh, to help them kind of navigate what that may be. And sometimes it's speaking up for them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had people uh, that have gone that have that call. And when, you know, the, decon or whatever says no like no she really does like you just you're not looking at the right and, and so creating a culture of call um to encourage young men and women uh to um to answer that call um i know all three of us here are in our 30s um and it took somebody to encourage us to to do it because we looked around like do we really want to do this like is this for real i know we probably all struggle with that in some way shape or form um and and it's now our turn to be those people um, that that's something that's that's really hit me in the last year. It's my turn to yeah. to to do that, and so like I, I just enjoyed how you lifted up that encouraging, especially uh, young women, because I think of my two daughters who I know both of them will probably have some kind of deep sense of call. It has nothing to do with me and their time in the church. It has everything to do with our one year in Norman when we were around Linda Harker and what they saw in Linda and what they gleaned from her that has more weight than anything that daddy's ever done in their lifetime. And I really appreciate her for, for recognizing them, but then also like being a great healthy role model for her, for the girls to see that we, yes, women can be in ministry. And my associate pastor is also female. They've gotten to see how Shanna operates and it's been like, it's been great for them to have those healthy role models. Um, And so, um, you know, as what are some suggestions, I guess, you could lift up for us um, today? Yeah, I, I've, in the past decade or so, I've just experienced um, a real threat to women's leadership, not in an overt way, but a covert way, right? So most of the time, women, you know, aren't struggling like our predecessors to get an appointment at all. It's whether they can receive appointment, an appointment that meets their skills and gifts over and above other men that, you know, also are quote unquote do. Um, or also, uh, I guess, just ones that if you have the same gifts, a lot of times the, the men are chosen. And that's just still a reality. But I think the covert assumptions are uh, things like assuming what a pastor should look like, act like, or speak like. Um, assuming how a pastor should spend his or her time, um, like related to SPR issues, related to assumptions about how um, pastor parents and families, both men and women, um, should uh, spend time at church or not. Uh, And so I think the biggest gift that we can have is some more deeply honest and transparent conversations about the assumptions we bring to the table. So, you know, in every church that I've, I've pastored, I've been the first female uh, that has had children. <laughs> and in every single situation, there's been different assumptions about maternity leave, about uh, when I come back, what I can handle. A lot of times um, decisions have been made for me by uh, my own senior pastors, and I've had great ones, and then ones that I've had to kind of help educate tenderly a little bit. Um, I'm being kind, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, to help them to, uh, remember that, you know, we're our own agents to be able to make those choices 
and that we should still be able to uh, make decisions about the the way that we handle our our time in ministry. Um, I guess you know some of the other things, uh, and I think the the biggest piece that uh, other than continuing to raise women up in leadership is actually having um, male allies to be encouraged to have that sensitivity. Like both you, uh, Matt and Zach seem to have, you um, have one of the greatest responsibilities to, you know, like whenever you're in a conversation, I'm sure you've been in a place at some point in time where a woman was kind of silenced or dismissed or ignored in uh, a church conversation or, even more, um, the woman says something and then another guy says it and everybody kind of follows them. I think just the, the small things of um, pointing and, and giving, um, I guess, giving uh, credence or, or helping other people pay attention to that dynamic can really change the game for women coming behind me uh, and becoming, uh, coming behind all of you, frankly. Um, so uh, I guess the, the biggest threat to women right now is those that think that women's issues are over. Just like people talk about it being a post-racial uh, uh, time in the church, it is not um, a post-sexist time in the church. And I could give a bunch of stories related to that, but I do, uh, I find hope all around. And I'm not just saying that. Um, you know, the two friends that I wrote a book with, they're, you know, at the front lines of continuing to um, help me be at the table in some of the greatest leadership positions I've had the privilege of having. And um, so I, I think it's just uh, the best advice I can give is just pay attention. And when you see something, say something. I love that. I'm serving so I served in the South in Texas and New Mexico and, and now up North. And uh, it really doesn't matter location. You still hear nonsense. <laughs> you yeah. still hear of this stuff. My colleagues, uh, I have more female colleagues here in this conference than I've ever had. And it's been, uh, it was sad that I was surprised by that when I moved up here uh, because it was where I've served. It was just, there weren't women in ministry. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and, and so coming up here, I was just like, oh, this is what a healthy system <laughs> looks like. This is great. <laughs> and, and How does that change the dynamic for you, though? Oh, I mean, for, for me personally or just yeah, in the room? Curious. Um, it, it, it's really interesting because I'll find myself falling back into some old, old habits and old things that I'm like, oh, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not helpful in this moment, right? Uh, but, it, and it, but I also notice people aren't shushing others. People aren't stepping over each other uh, or women in particular in, in repeating ideas and then running with them, right? There's, there is very much uh, uh, power in that. And, and there's very much a power in the difference of that. And, and that we collaborate a whole lot better as a conference. Uh, it's not perfect, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's a lot of good coming from it and a lot of fabulous voices that if anywhere else uh, outside of this jurisdiction or in a Southern jurisdiction may not be heard, uh, may not be lifted up and may not, yeah. It's and so- Bring up the issue of collaboration because mm -hmm. one of the research I did for this book was looking at businesses mm -hmm. and uh, they were saying that of the Forbes 500 companies, you can find that 
um, all of the companies almost, I can't remember the exact, I'd have to go back and look, but most of the companies reported um, having greater uh, collaboration and greater health in their organizations because they opened up the uh, major boards of the highest executive levels to the other 50% of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find that to be fascinating that you report in a whole nother area of our country in another United mm -hmm. Methodist annual conference and jurisdiction that you see that on the ground. Oh yeah. I, I see it at appointment season too. There's not the anxiety and distrust around appointment season uh, of who's going where, what's going on. Hey, it's there. There's a little bit of it, but wholly it's a supportive system of, I'm so glad you're going there. You know, uh, the, I moved up here from New Mexico uh, late in an appointment season and don't know anybody, never been up here, just moved. And uh, the, the pastor I followed, she uh, made a special trip over here to sit down in the office with me. Here are the files. Here's this and that I've served. Know, six or eight churches in my ministry uh and not once has that ever happened of hey i can be helpful you know i want i want to make sure you succeed here and gave me the building blocks to start out of here's where the svrc file is you know here's where all of this stuff is here and here's what you need to know not about people but just about the office and uh it was so helpful and in it i very quickly learned oh i came out of a very unhealthy system this is what this is what good health looks like. This is great. But I caught myself going, well, what does this mean? You know, what, <laughs> in kind of all of those negative things, right? Of what's really going on here and nothing. It was just trying to be helpful and collaborative. <laughs> well, and it's something the church is going to have to grapple with as the culture. And I say the culture, there are many cultures, right. but, um, you know, we have to grapple with that because in seminaries, I mean, y'all probably know, uh, Zach, you're in kind of, um, mm -hmm. studies right now that, it's largely female. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and part of that, I mean, I can just reflect, you know, I was going to be an attorney before uh, I came to this. And I think ministry has a wonderful melding of executive and administrative role that uh, meets relationships and um, emotional intelligence and all those things that, you know, certain people, but particularly women are at least um, geared toward a lot of times. And so I, I think we're really tailor-made for that. And uh, I, I've heard a couple of stories down here in the South. I'm not going to say which district or which conference, but um, uh, but there was a church where a, a woman was appointed and they wouldn't receive the appointment. And so the district superintendent said, okay, well, I'll pull this appointment. And he gave them three more choices and they were all other women. And so <laughs> I think there's something where we have to come to the point where enough is enough. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna look at people for their leadership skills and what they deeply bring as far as fruits for ministry, no matter whether you're male, female, young, old, like do you have what it takes for this church in its context and with its particular problems and uh, joys right now? Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been fortunate enough that I've had uh, women follow me in two of my three appointment changes. And so I have felt like I've had to deal a lot of them have had some interesting uh, go-abouts with, uh, two of them, have had, both of them have had interesting go-abouts with women pastors. And so when a woman was following me, you know, there's an angst. Well, he's not, she's not going to do it as, as well. It's like, so finally, this last point, I was honest and said, hey, would you say that if it was another man? Come on. Um, and I, I want you to think about that. Understand, and, and both the women that followed me were way better than I ever could be. I mean, and I'll be honest, like I, 
they have way more than what it takes and they're, they're both doing really great following me. Uh, and, and the, what, but what kind of came out of that was I kind of was the hype man for them before they came in there. So that way the congregation wouldn't be so, um, beaten down that they felt like that, you know, this was kind of like, you know, just like, uh, like this. And so like, so in this last one, I was like, man, she's going to love you guys. You, you guys are going to love her because she gives hugs. I don't like, <laughs> and sure enough, like that's been the, like when, cause it's not that far from where I'm at now. And I've heard that from people. We really love her. She, you know, she, she is way better than you in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, um, and, and so it's, I think like for me being an ally means like if, if it's in that kind of situation that I really do need to educate the congregation, like Shay, she has exactly what it takes to do this. Um, yeah. And, 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 and letting them, the congregation, one, grieve uh, the loss of a pastor, but then also saying, hey, she's being sent here not just by a cabinet, but by God, and, and help them see that and say that she does have what it takes to do this job. Yeah. Um, she wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. Um, and, um, and then also ask that question, would you ask the same of a man? Because we know that men have screwed up the church way more than women have. Um, uh, and and I, I mean, I'm not apologetic about that one. I know that we've done way more damage than, than uh, and, and vice versa. Too. I know some women that have done some damage. And um, it's being honest about who we are and the mistakes that we've made and, and learning to grow out of those, um, I think, is healthy for any congregation in whatever context it may be. I think, you know, so, I mean, going back to your original question, the major piece of advice I would give is for the men to make room and ultimately for the women that are listening to your podcast to step up. <laughs> like the thing, the thing that annoys me more than anything else. And I've had my days where I've, I've been in these spaces too, but where we play the victim card, um, you know, we have to tell the truth about the experiences and especially some of the struggles that we've had to bring awareness for ourselves and others and congregations to be more healthy in their approaches to pastors in the future. Mm -hmm. But the thing I can't stand is a woman that will use um, some of our, our struggles as a crutch uh, to explain their ineffectiveness mm -hmm. or to explain their lack of intention and giving all they've got. Um, Cause I'm, I'm very mindful that I don't have everything that this church that I'm serving presently needs, but at least I'm going to leave everything that I have on the table and then say, you know, when I go to bed at night, all right, God, it's your church. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so, um, that's why I joke that that's why Shannon and I work really well together because she's a hugger and I'm not. And so like when people need that kind of care, like Shannon can do that. I can't. And, and I, I think that's just one, it's being vulnerable and open and honest with ourselves. Um, and I think we don't do that enough, even as pastors. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been told not to be that way. And I'm like, no, it's not, who, you know, and what's weird is my parents who didn't raise me in the church, you know, always taught me to be truthful. And what I've learned in the church is that the church doesn't want us necessarily to always be truthful. Right. Um, and, and I've had a hard time. I'm still, I've been a Christian for almost 19 years now or over 19 years now. And it's like, I'm still struggling with that. Like, I am a truth teller. I was raised that way and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of tell it what, how I see it. And, uh, um, and so Katie, I know, um, we thank you for your time. Uh, I would, we'd, I'd love to stay on for another hour or so, but I know uh, you're like all three of us have, all three of us have, uh, we have, uh, little one responsibilities that we have to tend to, because if not, people tend to get mad. Um, There's that. Uh, 
So I'm trying to be, uh, you know, kind of respectful of our time and your time. And uh, I know I have to help with kids this afternoon. I know you've got to pick up your kiddos uh, this afternoon as well. Um, you know, we thank you uh, for being on today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you actually, you know, not just digitally uh, or just bumping each other at, at a conference um, and would, would love to uh, hopefully, uh, you know, get to do more things later on in the future. Uh, we want to encourage our listeners to um, check out the book. You can find it actually on Amazon uh, and Cokesbury. Uh, it's called The Marks of Hope. Uh, uh, and would encourage you to pick that up, maybe get together a, a leadership team and look at that and ask your church these questions of how, what can we do? What can we learn from this? What can we do to be better? And how is this calling us to, to be a better, uh, healthier church? And, uh, you know, Katie, we thank you for your time and we encourage everybody else to go on the Bearded Theologians website, uh, like us, share us, um, go click on the uh, link and buy it's Christmas season. So buy some Bearded Theologians gear to share, um, the, the mugs uh, go a long way in, in gift giving and can be used in all sorts of ways. Um, but for, um, we've got some also great pot, uh, blog posts coming up in the future and some blog posts that we've got up recently. Uh, also some great uh, beard casts that we've had the last few months. And uh, so we encourage you to keep listening and keep sharing us. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.